Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Hear the words of the Lord. Only let your life, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, standing, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the very words of God. We are Christ's representatives in this world. If you own a company, uh, you're going to expect that your employees are going to behave in a manner that respects the company they're representing, the representatives of a company. Some companies have code of conduct. They have a, a certain expectation or some sort of behavioral standards that they'll give to their people because in public they want the company to be respected and well-known and honored. And so those employees are given a task of representing the company that they work for. If you work for somebody, you have the behavioral expectations. And if you, if you go against those behavioral expectations or quote codes of contact, conduct, you can get fired. I mean, you're susceptible to being fired or let go or whatever. We must represent... Employees must represent their company and what that company stands for. As we're raising up men in our home and two little boys, and now one day, or here really soon, a little girl, there's going to be expectations of what it means to be a boy and a girl in the Sparks home. So a Sparks man has to live up to something. There's expectations. It means something. I expect my sons, you probably heard me talk about this before, but to worship, work, protect, provide, lead, and love. We're training them in that. And we're going to expect our daughters to be raised, if God gives us more than one, but our daughter to be raised in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord as well. And it's going to be, mean something to be a Sparks woman. It's going to mean something. To be a Christian means something. If you bear the name of Christ, you are Christ's representative, and it means something. It demands something of you. If you call yourself a child of God, then live in a manner that communicates that truth. We represent Christ to the world. Hi, I'm a Christian. Well, then people are wondering, what's a Christian like? Okay, I know some Christians. Well, they're like that guy or that girl over there. That's what a Christian's like. We represent Christ to the world. It means something. And that's what Paul tells us in verse 27. Look at verse 27 again. Only let your life, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, whatever follows the word only is very important. Only. Only let your manner of life be worthy of something. Only. It's very important. When somebody puts the word only in a sentence, it's communicating there's, there's a lot of things that flow from this. If you get this one thing right, there's going to be a lot of other pieces to the puzzle that's going to come together. Only. Let your manner, life, or your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're living a life worthy in a manner of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then there's a lot of other things that's going to come downstream from that. So only. Whatever follows, this is some sort of bed, bedrock it's building on the bedrock truth of whatever flows from this. This is the bedrock truth. It's like a cornerstone of a building. If you get this right, other things can be built on top of it. Let your manner, let your manner of life be lived in a worthy manner to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what does the word worthy mean? Because I'm thinking worthy here, and I'm thinking through different things about uh, what does it mean 
to live in a worthy manner. I'm thinking about the word deserve. Is he talking about let your life deserve the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because as good evangelical Christians here, we know that we are not recipients of God's grace because of anything that we have earned or deserved. So when I read the words, let your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, my brain starts spinning. And so I'm thinking and praying through and wrestling. And, and so as, uh, as we look at this, I think it's important um, that we recognize this detail that he is not speaking to living a life that merits the good news. But what he is saying is live a life that represents that good news. Live up to that good news. It's a statement about living a life that the gospel deserves. Um, represent Christ in a way that's not double-minded. We are called to represent Christ in a way that he is to be represented according to the scriptures. To be saved by the gospel and brought into the family of God means a great deal, so we are to live according to that calling. So as it means something to be a sparks man, it means something to be a Christian. If you live a double life, if you say one thing and do another, the call from a passage like this is to stop that and be consistent in all of your life. The demands of Christ are everywhere. They're not just in some pockets of your life. It's all of Christ for all of life. Let your life and the way you live be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I remember when I was growing up, there was a man out in the community that uh, I knew because he was my Sunday school teacher. And then I bumped into him years later. I left the church, left that church and was at another church. And I started hearing word about this man that I respected greatly when I was growing up. I mean, he was a Sunday school teacher that I really liked. He's a really just a, a cool guy. I really looked up to him. And I found out years later um, that he was not respected in the world, that people hated working for this guy and nobody trusted him. So his word didn't mean anything to the people in the world. And if your word doesn't mean anything to the people of the world, what are you representing to the world? That's that disconnect. Uh, yeah, I'm a Christian, and you have people in the church that respect you and look up to you, but out in the world, it's people who don't like you, don't trust you, don't believe that what you say is that you're going to do, that you're actually going to do. And so what this is doing is just busting that up. Live a life that's consistent. You represent Christ. He was not living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus owns all of us, and so all of us belongs to him in every manner of life. And we're to do this, we're to live this way so that there's a reason that we're to live this way, so that whether I come and see you or, an, or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Paul is telling this church, if I go to you, if I actually do leave this prison cell and find my way back to the region of Macedonia, I want to see you living up to this great calling. Um, or, if I'm absent, I want to hear about you living up to this great calling. I want to hear about it. I'm expecting this. And I think Paul had a clear expectation that this church was going to do this. They're already living in a manner that, that is, a, uh, that is a, a noble manner. This church of Macedonia, we see through it, this whole letter is doing some marvelous things through the power of the Holy Spirit. But Paul's going to begin to explain. He's going to say, I want to hear about it. But then he's going to explain what that worthy life is. So we're going to get some details here about what it means to live a worthy life. How do you live a worthy life? A life in living in a manner, living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So number one, we see that we are to stand firm. Look at verse 27, verse B. 27, verse, or, uh, part B. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. 
He wants to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Stand firm. First is stand firm. Um, standing firm in one spirit. Uh, here we stand as the body of Christ. Here they stood as the body of Christ in the churches in Macedonia. Paul warns them that they must be unified in their stand. You know, with, with Christianity, we, we see down through the history of the church, there have been individual martyrs where somebody was willing to stand alone when nobody else was willing to stand. But what Paul is calling them to do here is not just be an island to yourself where you're the only one making a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's saying you together stand side by side. Stand for the truth. Stand for something. Uh, one of the commentaries I was reading this week, J.A. Moiter, said this, Whether present or absent then, Paul looks for the same news, that they're standing firm under attack. But remember this, that standing firm under attack... It requires a stern resolution on the part of the individual. It is a corporate manner, an activity of the fellowship. Steadfastness requires your unity of spirit and soul, your cooperation, your cooperative battling for the faith you hold in common. So in the day of this writing, they were to stand firm against Judaism they were together to stand against false teaching, Roman false gods. They were to stand against Roman persecution. They had a lot to deal with in their day. And Paul is warning them, hey, don't, don't stand alone. Stand together. Strive side by side. If you're wanting to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, then side by side, stand together. Don't be alone. Um, today, in our day, we, we still have false religions. We still have the false religion of Judaism. But we also have, kind of comparable to the Roman state at that time, we have a secular state, we have a growing Marxist movement in our country, we have theological liberalism, and it's like the, the waters in so many different categories in our world today are boiling, and people are the frog in the kettle. And it's like Paul's saying, hey, you gotta you got wake up and stand together. Just, if you just stand alone, if you just go along with the flow, that water is going to keep on boiling. It's everywhere. You, you've got to stand against these enemies. And you're going to have to do this together. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they had each other. And Daniel, they had each other. They knew. Everybody else may bow. But Shadrach, he's going to be with me. Meshach's going to be with me. Daniel, he's going to be with me. Everybody else may bow their knee. But we're going to stand. We're not bowing to false gods. Um, courage runs in tribes. Uh, if, if you're at a congregation or if you're in a church or if you've if you got family and friends of cowards, you're going to end up becoming a coward. If you end up apologizing to the world for everything, you're just going to keep apologizing and keep apologizing and keep apologizing, and you're not going to know the truth from error. You have to be able to stand. And in our day, just like in the day... This, right, this letter went to the church of Philippi. There are things to stand against. There are real enemies that we must stand against. And we need unity in this. We're not a collection of individuals. Okay? We're not, we have individual names. We are the body of Christ, purchased by Jesus for a great purpose. Our ultimate allegiance will always go with God. Secular Christianity hates, secular, the secular state hates Christianity because just like Daniel... We're willing to go into the fiery furnace, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We won't bow the knee. And so governments who deny God, hate God, and run from God are going to hate those who love God and serve him and honor him. That's why throughout the history of the world, we see it everywhere. As secularism or atheism grows, persecution against those who won't bow the knee rises. 
And so we have to have courage to stand, not just as individuals, but as a group, the body of Christ. Uh, remember a couple years ago, Mario Lopez, remember A.C. Slater? You guys remember A.C. Slater, right? Um, A.C. Slater from Saved by the Bell. So he actually grows up. His real name's Mario Lopez, but we'll just keep, him, keep calling him A.C. Slater for fun. Uh, so A.C. grows up. He has a family, and they're supposedly, you know, this, this religious family, and, and, you know, okay, great. They have several kids. And about two or three years ago, he said publicly that he doesn't believe four- and five-year-olds are old enough to determine what gender they are. Okay, like, you know, a, a really rational statement, right? Well, of course, everybody railed against him. The left, the mob, raised up. They tweeted everybody. They called everybody they knew. Mario Lopez is a terrible person. All this just terrible stuff. And he actually apologizes. He apologizes for the statement. Um, we shouldn't have to apologize for stuff like that. We don't apologize for stuff like that. In fact, if we ever saw people in our church apologizing for a statement like that, we would exercise church discipline. Don't apologize for stuff like that. Stand. Stand. We must stand. Why? Because we represent Christ. We are Christ's representatives in the world. Did Christ go around apologizing to everybody? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, here's the truth, but, uh, I mean, you really need to repent, but I... You know, I know that that's offensive, you know, so I guess I do have a wonderful plan for your life. So if you don't want to repent, that's okay. He didn't. Like, let the chips fall where they may. He was okay with hundreds and thousands of people walking away from him as he proclaimed the truth. We stand because we are Christ's representatives. That's what living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ does. It stands and it stands together. Secondly, we strive side by side. We see it right in the same passage, 27. See, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We strive side by side. We work for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Christian life requires striving. We have a mission together. Now, I want to make sure we don't hear this as saying that the Christian life involves earning something from God together. Uh, we're not earning anything from God, but we do have a battle to fight. We have an enemy that hates us. We have a, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we're to fight all those three things and everything that they bring at us. We're to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Christian life requires striving, and we are to encourage each other to strive for the faith of the gospel. Representing Christ means working hard, striving to advance his cause. Now listen, we strive, but we don't earn. We work, but we don't merit we strive because we are thankful and we are loved by God, not because we're trying to be loved by God. When you have that foundation, you can strive in thankfulness and side by side with your brothers and sisters, not trying to earn anything from God. But make no mistake, the Christian life does require striving, not to get salvation, but because we have been saved. We strive and we work for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We work hard and we do it together. We encourage each other. Hey, keep going. Keep your head up. Don't be down. There's a mission out there. There's a battle to fight. Yeah, the flesh you feel like is kicking your booty. Okay, well, stand up, fight, stand firm, strive for the gospel of Jesus. When you know, know what Christ has done for you, when you know him, you want to obey him, you want to fight for him, you strive, you contend, and you do so because he has all authority and he's told you to do that. Three, we're to do this without fear. Look at verse 28. If we're going to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, we're going to have to do this without fear. And not frightened by anything 
in anything by your opponents without fear. Representing Christ in a worthy manner means not being frightened in anything by your opponents. Not being frightened by anything. Here we go. We got a ball that just rolled up here. Hold on. There we go. Nice. Not frightened by anything in our opponents. Now, uh, we think about fear. We know that, that uh, Sarah's daughters are not afraid of anything. That the ladies in this room, you have a, a, a command that men are never given in the same way. That you, like Sarah, are to not be afraid of anything that's frightening. But now we're told everybody that we're not to fear anything in our opponents. That's what Paul wanted for them. No fear. Like we're not shaking in our boots, scared to death about what's going on in the world. Um, when an actual lion is on your side and it's trained and you're walking into a street fight, you feel pretty good about yourself. You feel pretty good about your chances. You feel pretty good that I've got a full-grown lion right here and I'm going into this fight, an actual lion. I'm going to come out the victor. And we have the lion of the tribe of Judah on our side. Uh, we, we are going to win this thing. Jesus is with us. We're, we're not going to lose. We don't need to be afraid. The one with all authority in heaven and earth is with us, and he says he's not leaving us. Don't fear anything by our opponents. Nothing. Our Father's the one who owns everything. Satan has no claim on you. None whatsoever. The world can't say, you're ours. You've got to come with us, disobey God. The world has no claim on us. We're children of the Most High God. Why would, what do we have to be afraid of? Who cares what our opponents think of us? Who cares if people think that Christianity is weird? Um, here's the thing. People are being shocked now that Christians believe what Christians have always believed. If you just believe what a Christian's always, always believed, and uh, just you know, basic stuff that Christians always, have always believed, uh, even things like just basic inclusivity, okay, or exclusivity. Jesus is the only way to God. You know, 10 years ago, that didn't bother too many people. I mean, yeah, it did. That enrages people today. It enrages people today. Jesus, hey, anybody who wants him, come on, bow your knee, but he's the only way. Like, I don't know about that. I don't like that. And when the people rage, we're, Paul's like, so? Who cares? What are you afraid about? I mean, you're the Lord's. You have God with you. Kids, if you're ever embarrassed at school or with your friends or your peers, who cares what they think? God's with you. You're a child of God. We're always going to have opponents. If the church doesn't have opponents, then we're not doing something right. I've been thinking about this a lot recently. The Bible promises over and over again, Jesus promises persecution. And for a long time, a long time, uh, I've not known what... It means to be persecuted. And I, I mean, I'm not experiencing bodily harm for my faith. We're not out here experiencing bodily harm for our faith. Um, but maybe we're too quiet. Maybe the reason there's not been as much persecution or ridicule or mockery to Christians is that we've not met the sins of our day with appropriate levels of righteous indignation. That we've not been the very voice of God in his word and saying, here's what God has to say about this. Abortion's murder. I'm sorry. And I don't care what society, how much society has conditioned me to say otherwise, it's murder, period. And maybe that's not bothered us enough. 
You know, these vaccines, and it, you've got to be looking into this, but this vaccine that's coming out for uh, the coronavirus, it's funded, it's fueled by just the way that some va other vaccines are. It is through the blood of aborted babies. It's right on the box. You can read it. You can see it. It's just stuff that people don't know. There's a lot of wickedness out there. And if we met that wickedness with thus saith the Lord, here's what God has to say about this, with boldness and courage, you know what? We'd probably experience a little bit more ridicule. I'm thankful we have a group of people here that are not afraid, not afraid of their opponents, really, honestly. Like, I, I see you guys here. You guys love the word. You love God's word. You care about what God has to say. Who cares what people think of Christians? Honestly, who cares? Don't apologize for what God has to say. We're always going to have opponents. Uh, and the master of every single non-Christian is the devil himself. The master, the owner of every non-Christian, the one leading every non-Christian, even the most moral or even religious person who does not know God, the master of that person is the devil himself. And so we must stand and stand without fear. Are we afraid of the devil? Absolutely not. And we have to encourage each other side by side. There's going to be times when one of us, many of us, are lacking courage. And we're going to come in on a Sunday morning and we're feeling embarrassed and beat down. And we just feel like the world is coming and attacking us and winning. And I'm walking in. I feel literally like Eeyore. And I'm walking through the doors thinking, life is awful. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. And we encourage each other. Don't be frightened. Don't be afraid. And those who are coming in this door, coming in these doors, encouraged and excited and courageous, who God is, you know, helping and leading, we come alongside and say, listen, everything's going to be okay. I just spit everywhere. I'm glad nobody's sitting right there. Everything's going to be okay. God is with us. The lion of the tribe of Judah is going with you to work. Is going with you to school. You're walking with a lion by your side. You're going to be okay. That's what people who want to represent Christ look like. We will not fear. There ends up being some results here from a life living in a manner worthy of the gospel. What is the result of a worthy life? Look at 28b. Look what happens in the world. Not frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear side to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. We're going to bump into the grace of God here again, which is what Paul always leads us to. It's so great. Uh, there are times that I don't strive side by side very well. There's, there's, life, there's times regularly where I do not represent Christ in the manner that he should be represented. I'm going to be growing in that for the rest of my life, and so are you. Um, there are times that we feel like, man, I, I blew it. I blew up again, whatever it may be. This spiritual growth process is a process. We're growing and learning and changing slowly, year by year. But there is a result of living this life that represents Christ well. There's results. This kind of life, we're told, is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. Now, remember, if you're not living differently than the world, you're going to look just like the world, and we're not going to be a very good sign. But a part of the reason that we're called to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is we go out in the world and the world sees the life that we're living and it's different than the life they're living and it makes them angry. 
It's a sign to them. And if they don't repent, they're either going to rage or they're going to say, that's different. I don't got it. And I want some of it. But it's going to be a sign to them of their destruction. I don't live like that. I don't have that same hope. I don't live according to the law they live. And I don't like it. How dare they live in such a way that tells me I'm wrong. It's a sign to them of their, their destruction. But for the believer, when we see others standing firm, striving side by side, and not fearing their opponents, it's a clear sign of our salvation in Christ. It's a clear sign. That man, that woman, they belong to Christ. They're the Lord's. When we stand, strive, and fear no one, it's a sign of our salvation. And we're told that it's all from God. Now I want to connect the grace of God to standing, striving, and fearing nothing. When we stand, strive, and fear nothing, we must recognize this is God at work. When we stand, strive, and fear nothing, when we live this life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's connected to the grace of God. You see it right here at the end of verse 28, and that from God. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Salvation and from God are tied together. And all of this is the context of living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we stand, strive, and fear no one, it is because of the grace of God. It's all from God. All of this is from God. The Holy Spirit is the one doing this in the people of God. This is the grace of God. When we sing the song we just sang, the strength to follow your commands can never come from me. Even as a believer, we become more and more dependent upon God, not less and less. The longer we walk with God, the more we read and love and learn to love his law, we see this and we think, okay, God, help me. I'm dependent upon you to help me to stand, to strive, and to fear nothing because there's times I walk out of those doors and I'm afraid. And I'm dependent upon you this week. Holy Spirit, help me. I don't want to fear my opponents. Help me to stand. Help me to strive in a manner that honors you. And that is all from God. Even inside of you, if there's a longing, God, I want to be like that. I want to stand. I want to stop being scared. That's God at work in you. All of this is from God. Lest people think they could do any of this on their own, Paul brings them back again, yet again, to the very grace of God. We stand, strive, fear nothing because God is doing this justification. The fact that we are declared righteous and forgiven in Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus alone. That is a gift. And let me, let me just tell you this, newsflash. So is spiritual growth. God is always gifting us with more. He's always giving us more grace. Grace upon grace. Wave upon wave. We're dependent more and more every day on His mercy and grace that we wake up to find new and fresh every morning. All the days of our life. The grace of God is not going anywhere. Look at verse 29 because it's Paul. He just does this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He cannot stay away from the grace of God. And he brings us to something that's so otherworldly. And this is where the word grace, where the rubber meets the road. There are many people in our world today that want to talk about grace. They love grace. They love grace up to this point. Because grace is utterly and totally offensive until it's glorious to you. Real grace will offend the best men and women. 
And if it's never offended you, it's probably because you've not got this point. Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The grace of God. It's been granted to you. The word grant is a glorious word. When people would fill out work for, fill out for college scholarships. You know, you'd fill out all these paperwork. You know, it's all this paperwork, at least everybody else was. I, I didn't. I should have. Filling out paperwork, writing papers, try, trying to get um, scholarships. And people loved, loved grants. If you got a grant, it was so great because you didn't have to pay it back. Like, it's a grant. It's a gift. Here. Um, a gift or a, a, something granted to you is something that is given to you. Here. And unlike writing a paper for it, we did the opposite of that. And we didn't earn it at all. It's like we wrote papers of hatred to the person who was going to give us grants. Here's how much I hate you. I follow your enemies. I don't love you, and I've rebelled, rebelled against you all the days of my life. Will you please give me something? <laughs> Without even that request. I don't want anything from you. And yet, this word grant, we're granted here. Something. It's been granted to you not, that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. Um, granted means freely given. Given, it's a gift. Before he tells us what he has been gifted, he tells us why. We have been granted something. These two things we're going to look at here in a, in a minute. Granted something for the sake of Christ. So whatever we've been given, whatever we've been granted, here's what it's for. It's to your benefit, but it's not for your sake. It's for the sake of Christ. It's for a greater purpose than you just having it. Whatever it has been granted to you, it serves a purpose. And that purpose is for the sake of Christ. So whatever he gives you here, it's so that Christ would receive praise, glory, and honor. It's for his sake. So what is it that's been granted to us? So that Christ would receive attention and praise? Two things, belief and suffering. Let's look at belief first. Again, this is where the rubber meets the road with grace. When you trusted in Christ, it was because God gave you the faith to believe. Amen. Amen. This is the offensive part of faith. This is the offensive part of grace. When you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was only because God granted you faith. He gave you the faith to believe. If he did not grant you faith, you would have never believed. If God did not give you the, grant, the gift of faith, you would have never believed in him. Now notice, if that's true and it is, then when I think about my life in Christ, when I think about being saved, when I think about any faith that I've ever expressed, I can't give myself a hand clap. I can't pat myself on the back. My attention is turned to Christ. Which is the point, that for the sake of Christ, it has been granted to you, not only to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but to suffer for his sake. So when you believe, it's for the sake of Christ. And so if we get that, if we get God's grace, 
if we get that even the faith to believe in him was a gift, it wasn't anything that I had in my back pocket. Faith is not something that everybody has. They're just walking around with. It's just there to be able to use at their own expense, at their own pleasure. That faith is a supernatural gift that a sinner, a rebel against God, does not have. He or she has to be given faith from God to the sinner. Now, years ago, I had my father-in-law. When, when Dennis and I work together, it's great because uh, I, I still just help. I learn because he, he's very good. He's a good craftsman. He knows how to build almost anything. He knows how to fix almost anything. And he's just very, very good. So I'm, I'm you know, learning and picking things up. Well, several years ago, I had this idea for a stand-up desk. And Dennis built the stand-up desk for me, and he gave me the stand-up desk. And you guys have heard this story before, but it's so helpful in communicating this truth. Uh, now, that stand-up desk right now is right underneath me. It's down in the office. It's right in here. And if you were to go down there and look at it and uh, marvel at this stand-up desk and think, wow, that really is good. And, and you know, uh, it's really nice, the craftsmanship. And, man, I really, really, that, that stand-up desk, that's really nice. And if me and Dennis were down there together, and Dennis was there, and, and I was there, and, uh, and if they started praising Dennis and saying, Dennis, you did such a great job. You did such a good job building this. It's so kind of you to build this, make this, and give this to him. That's, you did such a good job building. You just, you're just a great builder. What if I started getting nervous standing down there, and I was like, but I received it. But I received it. Hey, stop talking to Dennis. Look at me. I received it. I received that gift. People would think I'm absurd. I'm absurd. It would be completely absurd. What, what do you, why are you trying to take away the attention of the one who built it and gave it to you? In the same way, when anybody in this world tries to take credit for anything that they have been given by God, they're detracting, they're taking away attention that rightly should go to God. Even the faith that you expressed in the moment of your salvation was a gift given to you by God. This great and glorious salvation, we should turn to the Lord every single day and not focus on our acceptance of his gift, but instead, like this week, the theme of this week, the theme of our lives, be thankful to the one who gave it to us. God, thank you. Salvation from the front end to the back end is all of grace, none of me. We didn't get our own praise. We don't get our own praise for our own deliverance. I don't get to say, thank you, I rescued myself. The people of Israel didn't say uh, a big pep rally after they walked through after they walk through the Red Sea and say, look what we did. Look. Aren't we special? Friends, the rubber meets the road here with this idea of grace. It's all a gift from the beginning to the end. So somebody asks, like, okay, why are you a, why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? If, if, your start, if your response is, well, because when I was five years old, No, no, I mean, why are you a Christian? Well, because, I, you know, there was a great apologetical ar argument that came to me, and I really just figured out that, you know, Jesus really is liar, lunatic, or Lord, and, and uh, I just, I can't, no, 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 why are you a Christian? Because God's been merciful to me. Because God gave me faith. Because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place for my sins. He chose to open my eyes and just like Lydia, open my heart 
see glorious truth that I would have never seen otherwise. Why are you a Christian? Because God has been gracious to me. There's room at the cross. It's been granted to you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, some of you saw that I posted that on Facebook this week. I'll never get over that. And I hope you never get over that either. Second gift that's mentioned is suffering. Why in the world would suffering be listed along with belief? It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. What? Talk about flying in the face of Western Christianity. Granted that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also suffer for his sake? I'll take belief, but suffer for his sake? What in the world does that mean? Paul says that both are a gift. Granted, granted. Not only to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's almost like Paul is adding an extra little like incentive here, but also to suffer for his sake. It's almost like he expects the church in Philippi to be like, yeah, bring it on. All right, extra gifts here. Suffering. Woohoo! What in the world does that mean? Christians given the gift of suffering for the sake of Christ. We've got to connect the dots for the sake of Christ. Why? Okay, well, Paul already mentioned one big reason. We're going to look at two primary reasons that suffering is for the sake of Christ. Now, remember, these things like belief exist so that we will be saved. Faith exists. God gives us faith and it results in salvation and then praise, glory, and adoration going to Jesus. Suffering is for a reason, and it's not just for suffering's sake. And if we don't get this, we'll be completely confused and wonder about God's character, and we'll, we'll wonder why in the world it just seems so arbitrary. Is God just kind of up there giving us the suffering mallet and saying, suffer for this next year? Now it's your turn. It's like, you know, those games at the arcade that pop up, and it's like, whack-a-mole, you know? Like, Zach, you're next. Whack. If you don't get this, you'll be weird and be thinking weird things about this idea of suffering. Um, why? Paul already mentioned one. One, because advanced suffering advances the cause of Christ. Paul already said that. that my, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Suffering is a gift to you because it advances the cause of Christ. And we want the cause of Christ to go forward more than we want our comfort. That's why suffering is a gift for the believer. When persecution happened in Jerusalem... What we're told in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You know how they left Jerusalem? To suffering. It's because Stephen was stoned to death as Paul stood there, Saul stood there, approving his execution. And the church started getting persecuted in Jerusalem. So they're like, peace out. We're going to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The cause of Christ, as they were trying to stomp out the cause of Christ went forward through suffering. That's why suffering is a gift. And we all want the cause of Christ to go forward, even if it costs me my own blood. For the Christian, suffering from persecution to sickness has a purpose attached to it for the sake of Christ. There's something that Christ 
has here for you and something here for you by the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit to do that brings honor to Christ. And what we should all be asking when we go through any season of persecution or suffering is, how can Christ receive honor through my actions here? What's my responsibility? What's my duty in this? As um, Nancy Wilson says, what's my responsibility? What's my duty through difficulty? I want to bring honor, through Christ, through honor to Christ for the sake of Christ through this. It doesn't mean that we don't pray that God would remove us from any situation or suffering, but it does mean we should never, ever see suffering as only from Satan or from some random, chaotic event that happens in the world. For the Christian, we have to see suffering as a gift. So, okay, God, what's my duty in this? What's my responsibility? I'm going to glorify you through this. I'm going to draw near to you because I need you, Father. And that's the second point. Number one, suffering is a gift because it advances the cause of Christ. Number two, because Christ is near us in suffering. Christ is near us. Christ's presence is so, he's always present. But there's something about going through difficulty. You look back years later and you realize, my goodness, he was with me hand in hand all the way through that. It was precious to me. The tears I cried the help that was brought to me by the God of the universe, I wouldn't trade that for anything. He was with me. Paul says in chapter 3 that all of his suffering was worth it because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. There's the point. All the suffering worth it because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. He was, worth, worth, he was willing to lose everything if he could know Christ his Lord. When we suffer, we usually only realize after that fact that Christ was so present. The Christian should always look back and say, see the faithfulness of God. God has been faithful to me. I've been young, I've been old, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And when I was in the biggest moment of pain in my life, God was present and near with me, and I wouldn't trade it. Suffering is a gift because we get to experience our Father in ways that we never would otherwise. Suffering is a gift because we get to experience our Heavenly Father in ways we never would have otherwise. I was interviewing a man that's been walking with the Lord for many years now named Steve Farrar, and he said this. It was really wild when I, I listened to it, but it's pretty, pretty interesting. He said, depression in my 30s was the best thing that ever happened to me because God led me to the Word of God, and he led me to Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression. He said, Jared, I went through three years of depression that God used to change the course of my life forever, and now I cannot look back on that time of my life without saying it was the best thing that ever happened to me. God used that time. The man is now in his 70s, and that season launched him into men's ministry. He's written books. He's spoken to men, countless men around the world. He's worked with promise keepers. God used that in his life, and he said, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Martin Luther said, a dungeon with Christ is a throne. A throne without Christ is hell. Um, this gets personal, I know, because every single person here has experienced pain. Weeping, head in your hands, crying. And friends, what you've been through, I know it's been terrible. And there's secondary causes. I know the enemy shoots his arrows. But your pain, I promise you, you'll look at it and you'll ask, what is my responsibility in this? How can I honor God? 
you will see at some point it was for Christ's sake. That it was not wasted. He was using me as his servant for my good. I didn't see it then. I don't even know right now how it could have been for my good. But I know that there's nothing that comes my way. Nothing that will not turn out for my good. Nothing. Suffering is seen as a gift because God's greater will for you than your comfort is for you to know him, to glorify him, and advance his purposes. I'm going to say that one more time. Suffering is seen as a gift because God's greater gift, greater will for you, his greater desire for you than your comfort is for you to know him, glorify him, and advance his purposes. He will use you at your expense for his purposes. He loves you that much. He loves you too much to make your life all about you. And he loves you too much to make your life all daisies, rainbows, and unicorns for the rest of your life. You're living for a cause that's eternally big. It's inescapable in the Bible. Only Christians filled by the Spirit could possibly see, as they're reading the word, suffering is a gift from God. Verse 30, they're going to suffer because of the battle. Verse 30. Engaged in the same conflict that I saw I had, that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. The church at Philippi was engaged in some kind of battle, and it's the same kind of battle that Paul was battling in. And Paul had to contend for the faith no matter what the cost. And that's what every Christian is called to do no matter what the cost. The old codger, Paul, still at it. You know, I see these videos of guys in their 70s and 80s still going out and hunting. People are cheering them on. Paul's just still at it. I mean, Paul's still at it. We contend for the faith and never quit. It's what every Christian is called to. When you love Jesus, you want to represent him. One theologian said this, a dog barks when his master is attacked. He barks. I would be a coward if if I saw that God's truth is being attacked and yet would remain silent. A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if when I saw God's truth being attacked and I would remain silent. Start barking. Start barking. Keep barking. We are called to stand we are called to strive side by side. Don't be afraid. We are called to not be afraid. God is doing this work in us. Like we're going to see later on, he's doing his work to will, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're going to get to that in the book of Philippians. God is at work in you. He has given you faith that you may be saved. He has given you suffering that you would advance his purposes and experience his kindness. He has called you to battle, to conflict. Jesus really is worth it. He really is worth it. It's all for his sake. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. It's just on display here. I thank you for your kindness. There's a lot of things that have been said. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd bring clarity. There's never been a sermon that I've ever preached perfectly. Come and take imperfect words and work perfectly in the lives of people here this morning. We need you. God, I pray that you would grant repentance, give faith to those who don't have it. 
for your sons and daughter, daughters that are here, I pray that we just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to respond to you. We've heard from you, now we want to respond to you. Holy Spirit, I trust you'll lead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.